We thank you for the opportunity to drive together to study your word. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would be here, that you would be teaching us, that you would be sinking your word deep within us, God. Help us to know and understand your word, apply it to our lives, and be more like your son, Jesus. So, Lord, we lift this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Julie said it was hard to concentrate with Noah looking down on you. So, there we go. You ready? Here we go. Tonight, Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So last week we, we read Revelation 14, and it described the, the perfect ending of all these things, and it ended with the fury of the battle of Armageddon. And now John's going to go back and describe God's judgment in more detail. This whole idea of stating and then restating in more detail, it's common in prophecy and it's very common in Hebrew literature in, in general. Okay, so basically, they tell you where they're going to go, they go there, and then at the end they tell you where they went. Right? It's like the outline of a good speech. And so this reminds us that the book of Revelation is not strictly chronological in that its arrangement is built in that heptatic structure that we've been talking about and it's been so consistent throughout the book. And so that's where we are now. We're jumping back into the chronological system of, of the book of Revelation. So let's just jump in. Revelation 15, verse 1 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven. And so when you think back, the previous two signs were, the first one was the woman, and that was representing Israel. And then the second, the, red, the great red dragon was Satan. And, and so now the addition of a third is the seven angels with the seven last plagues. John describes them as great and marvelous. Great and marvelous. So the sign in heaven is described as great. And Think about this. We don't hear this any other time in the Bible except verse 1 of, of, uh, of chapter 15 and verse 3 of chapter 15. So two things are great and marvelous in John's eyes. He sees seven angels having the seven last plagues. Literally in the Greek, it reads, having seven plagues, comma, the last ones. That's what it means. It's, this is it. This is the finishing touch. You know, this idea of seven plagues is also seen in Leviticus 26, 21. It reads, 
says, Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. And so here these last seven plagues are God's judgment on a very disobedient and contrary world. In chapter 14, we read about just how patient God will be with, with the earth. And we read that these grapes were ripe for harvest. And, and the word uh, ripe, it had a negative sense. And, and it talked about being dry or withered. But really what it tells us is that they were overripe. That means God will judge the earth only, only when it's overripe for judgment. He doesn't rush into it. He waits until the very last moment. Verse 8, for in them the wrath of God is complete. So here's a little Greek lesson here. So we have thymos. We talked a little bit about it last week, that thymos is a, a volatile, passionate anger. This is when God's really upset. And then there's orge, where it's anger from a settled disposition. This is when he, God's bummed. God's disappointed. It's like when we make bad choices. God's bummed. He's disappointed. Okay, but it, it's it's not a passionate anger. It's not a, a a flash of an anger. Here, where we read in verse one, this is where God his anger flashes as thymos anger. All right, he's upset. He's mad. And then when we read the word complete here, it's it's astelaste. It's kind of like to stelestai, and it's, it says to reach an end or an aim. And here, so the thymos wrath of God will fulfill an internal purpose. It's coming together. It's almost done. After these last seven bowls, the wrath of God will be complete. Verse 2, and he says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. It's obvious here that John doesn't see an ordinary sea. Uh, the symbolism here is, is very rich. Um, the sea is designed to reflect the glory of God. Fire always speaks of judgment. So when we see a sea mingled with fire, it speaks of divine judgment. The idea here that these saints are able to stand on it, it, I see it as reflecting the faithfulness of God, is that our God is faithful and we can stand on what he says. Then it says, And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, so those described here are the same victorious tribulation martyrs that we read about back in Revelation 7, verses 19 through, 9 through 17. They didn't survive the tribulation in terms of their lives, but they were victorious over the beast in that they didn't receive the mark, they didn't worship the beast. Alrighty? They're not losers here in the fact. In fact, they are the triumphant. Uh, the early church consistently described the day of martyrdom when somebody would lose their lives, as a day of victory. These martyrs are the victors. Verse 2 continues and it says, Standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. The Greek word here is, for on is epi, like epidermis, you know, that skin that covers you. And it can also mean on, over, or beside. Um, many commentators believe that in the architecture of heaven, this sea of glass it's literally a, a physical representation of the Word of God. And I love this picture because it connects the whole idea of the tabernacle's laver. Remember when the priests would start to come in into the, into the tabernacle, there's a laver there where they would wash their hands and their feet. And so it connects that Old Testament laver idea 
where the priests would wash before entering the tabernacle. And the whole idea that we are, we are washed by the word. And as we read that in Ephesians 5.26. So we can perhaps even say that these saints are standing on the word as they're standing on this sea of glass. We also read that these saints have harps. And the only people we saw with harps previous to this were the 24 elders way back in Revelation 5.8. Remember, we said that the only instruments in heaven were harps and horns. Okay, so guitars and trumpets. We figured jazz is going to be played in heaven, right? And so, um, but, but they're worshiping God. These tribulation martyrs are given the blessing of worshiping God with music in heaven. And, and, and the question is, is what do they sing? Well, guess what? They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. It's like the martyrs are playing a medley here. They're playing a combination of, of the musical union between the law and love, between the old covenant and the new covenant. Okay, so let's look at what the song says, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Here again, here's the second time where we read great and marvelous. So the first sign in heaven is great and marvelous. God's works are great and marvelous. It gives you the idea of just how amazing these two things are. Verse 14, he says, Just and true are your ways. Okay, we know that God is just. He's perfectly righteous. We know that God is true and that he keeps his promises, all of his promises. We can base our lives on these characteristics, these traits of God. We learn them. We learn to trust him. We can base our lives on him. God is faithful. The song continues. It says, O King of the Saints. And so this, um, th- this lyric is singing to God, who's the King of the Saints and of the nations, the ruler of all men. And at this point, he's shortly going to complete his divine judgment on this wicked world. Verse 4, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Who shall not fear you? Well, remember last week we read in Philippians 2, just a reminder, 2, 9 through 11. It's just an amazing verse that reminds us, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody will fear. The song continues, For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Basically, everything that he says, he does. Everything that he promises, he fulfills. Notice who the martyrs are singing to. Your, your, you, your, you, your, you, you. They're singing to God. And these martyrs are only focused on God. It's so sweet when you think about what they're singing. They don't even focus on their own costly and, and, and glorious victory that they had themselves. Remember, these were the martyrs. These were the, uh, these were the ones that, that, uh, that were witnesses. They don't even mention their own achievements during this time. They, they have the, the heart of true worship. It's all about God and not about us. There are some differences of opinion as to what song is being sung here. Uh, one interpretation that it's referring to the song of Moses uh, in Exodus 15. 
And it was sung um, by Moses and the children of Israel on the occasion of the triumph over Pharaoh at Red Sea. Okay, when they were celebrating, yes, you know, they're, they're gone, they're buried under the water, them and their chariots. But another interpretation is from Deuteronomy 32, where Moses personally writes this song for, for the children of Israel. And um, it's towards the end of his career, towards the end of his life. And it, and, and it really, it's a comprehensive picture of, of God's faithfulness to Israel. No matter what Israel does, God is faithful. And, uh, and God's ultimate purpose to defeat their enemies. That's what the song's about. So I kind of think that that fits better than the, than the first. So I go with, with uh, door number two. All right? Both of these songs praise God and they're very similar. But I think the second fits better. Verse 5, he says, And after these things I looked. And this phrase that John, that you, he uses, I looked and behold, it helps us to be introduced to something new. It's like, oops, stop, let's turn and look. All right, change of camera, so to speak. And it says, The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And so as John watches, the Holy of Holies in the heavenly tabernacle is opened up. What an amazing sight. Could you just imagine John's eyes? They've got to be this big, right? And Exodus 25, 8 through 9, it reminds us that the, um, the tabernacle of meeting, you know, the tent that we've talked about, that we've seen that was carried around through the desert, um, God told Moses to build that was based on the pattern of the tabernacle that was in heaven. And that's what we're reading about here. That tabernacle is opened in heaven. Exodus 25, 8 and 9 says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all of its furnishings just so you shall make it. If you've never done a study of the furnishings of the tabernacle and how each of them, it's, it, it all speaks of Jesus. This passage uh, refers really to just the heavenly reality of the, of the tabernacle and, and not the earthly copy. Verse 6, And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. So as John opens, or as John, as John watches, the sanctuary is opened, the curtains parted, seven angels are seen coming out of the, of the sanctuary. Now, in my head, I see them flying, right? Maybe you see them walking. I see them flying. So I see them coming out of the sanctuary, and they're carrying the seven plagues. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. I mean, I, just to think of that is scary, right? But they're, they're carrying the seven plagues of God. These angels bring God's judgment. I do think it's significant that they come directly out of the heavenly temple, from the presence and throne of God. It's not like they're acting on their own authority. They're not just not doing something. They're, they're, they're doing what the Father tells them to do. Their description of their clothing being pure bright linen and chest girded with golden bands is just a reminder of God's judgment and how it's completely pure and righteous. They're not you know, like the modern-day anti-hero or a vigilante um, who sink to the level of the criminals that they fight, you'd never see an angel in black leather, would you? No. no. They're, they're in white linen and gold bands. Verse 7, Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of God who lives forever and ever. 
Um, the King James Version and maybe some of your translations, they say that um, the angels had seven golden vials. And uh, these vials were full of the wrath of God. And in my head, I'm a biology guy and I'm a science teacher. So I see the pictures of, you know, the angels, they have test tubes in their hands, you know, vial. But really the translation, the, the word sensor is really a better translation. And that really makes sense because we saw censors in, in the tabernacle. In fact, if you go to the institute, the, the institute for the, the Temple Institute online, you can see um, almost all of the implements that are being built for the temple when the temple is rebuilt. And we looked at one of these, and it was called a censor. And so this is what, um, you know, what maybe an, the angels are carrying the wrath of God around in. So they're really shallow, pan-like golden bowls, and they were used in the temple to hold the fire when incense was, was burned. And so here's, you know, just picture that the angels are carrying around the wrath of God in these censers. That's wild. Verse 8, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So when the cloud of glory fills the temple in heaven, no one can enter. And, you know, that's not new because it was the same when Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle when the smoke of God's uh, glory filled the, the, the earthly tabernacle, um, sometimes called the Shekinah. The Shekinah glory would fill the tent. Exodus 40, 34 through 35 says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled their tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So verse 8 completes chapter 15. All right? The angels are ready. The angels have the wrath of God in those vials, in those censers. Truly, it's the beginning of the end for those who continue in the blasphemous, blasphemous disregard of the sovereignty and holiness of, of God, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, but that's what chapter 16 is all about, right? 